Good morning. If you have your copy of the Word of God, I want to invite you to open up to the Gospel of Matthew. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12 will be our text today, and the title of the message is Preparing the Way of Christ. As we continue walking through our Advent series, we are looking at the preparation of what happens when Christ is coming into the world. At that moment, the divide of time between the Old and the New Testament, when Christ comes in and ushers in the kingdom of God, we are considering this morning what it means for us practically to be preparing the way of Christ even this Christmas season. What did it mean for John the Baptist in preparing the way of Christ as he was in the wilderness proclaiming, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So this morning, that's what, we, that's what we, we're going to look at, that's what we're going to see, and so it's my prayer that we will understand this morning and, and, and be gripped with the idea that repentance is a, a necessary attitude if we are to prepare our lives for the coming of the kingdom of heaven. And so we'll kind of oscillate between that time when Christ is coming and beginning His ministry in this forerunner of John the Baptist coming and what that means for us very practically today and how we ourselves will be preparing the way for Christ this season as we look forward to celebrating that wonderful time on Christmas, the coming of Christ, but also in a much grander way, the imminent return of Christ, how He is coming back. So if you found your place in Matthew chapter 3, we have a little bit of a text to read, verses 1 through 12. Say amen. Let's follow along as I read. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Then Jerusalem was going out to him, and all Judea and all the district around the Jordan. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he, that is John the Baptist, said to them, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear the threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Let us pray. Father, as we consider your word this morning, I pray that our hearts would be open to receive your truth, that you would illuminate our minds to 
to see and to comprehend the truth of your word, that our, our hearts would love your word. And Father, that as we, uh, as we engage our minds and our hearts in your word, that we will be faithful and quick to apply it into our lives and to live it out. And Father, I pray for hearts today of repentance. I pray, Father, for genuine repentance in our lives that we might look to you as the author and perfecter of our faith, that we might look to you as the one who has paid the sin debt and suffered the wrath of Heavenly Father so that we might have eternal life. God, teach us by your word this morning. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your sacrifice, for your incarnation. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for loving us. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for dwelling within us. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. We need to prepare the way way of Christ this season. We need to prepare the way of Christ this season by heeding the proclamation of John the Baptist, God's herald, God's forerunner of Christ. He preached God's message in the wilderness. He called God's people to personal readiness and to to fruit-bearing lives. And so as we look in the Gospel of Matthew, in the first two chapters, we, are, we see the birth narrative that Matthew reveals. He reveals to us the, the identity of Messiah. He reveals to us the baby in the manger. And then when we get to chapter 3, verse 1, where he says, Now in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness. And he just kind of skips forward about 25 years to when Jesus Christ is about to come and begin preaching to the inauguration of Jesus' public ministry. He's about to come and begin preaching the gospel. And what we see in the gospel of Matthew is the same light that penetrated the darkness on that night when Christ was born is the same light that's about to come and penetrate the souls of men and women as he proclaims the gospel and begins his ministry around the Sea of Galilee. The same, the same light that will penetrate the, the darkness of men and women's souls is that which is proclaimed by Christ. And the fullness of time had come. And this was the time to which all the patriarchs and the prophets of old had looked forward to. Think about it. This is what their proclamation has looked forward to. The coming Messiah. He is coming. And they were waiting and they were expecting Him. And He came. The wise men showed up and the the shepherds, they showed up. They brought gifts and treasures and this young boy, Christ, in His Divinity steps down into humanity and the fullness of the Godhead dwelled in this baby in flesh. And he grew in wisdom and stature as a man. And as he is about to begin his public ministry, here comes this forerunner proclaiming, make ready, make way, make his paths straight. This is the fulfillment of God's Word. The Word made flesh entering our humanity. His earthly ministry is now beginning. John the Baptist is proclaiming this in verse 2. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I want us to see this morning how John the Baptist's preaching prepares us for the public ministry of Jesus and the ushering in of the kingdom of God. So the first point I want us to see this morning is 
as we are preparing the way of Christ and seeing in this text how John prepares the way of Christ, it is preparing the way of Christ calls us to personal readiness. It is a call of personal readiness. In verses 1-6 through we see this. But it's interesting to note, beginning in verse 2, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, And then down in verse 5, Then Jerusalem was going out to him on all Judea and all the district around the Jordan, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. What's interesting to note is that John's message is to the Israelites. John's message is to the people of God. God is calling out through John the Baptist, Make ready for your king. Prepare the way for Messiah. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What's interesting to me, and the reason it's interesting to me, is because first we see this call to God's people. You would think this message of repentance would come to those who are, who are not God's people, right? The Gentiles of Galilee. But first, John the Baptist comes preparing, preaching this message, prepare to God's people. It's further evidenced as you look throughout the Gospel of Matthew, and you see that Matthew's writing to the Jewish people. He uses the kingdom of heaven throughout. It's synonymous with the kingdom of God that's used in the other Gospels. But here, the kingdom of heaven is significant because to the Jew, to use the name of God, Yahweh, it was sacred. It it would defile them to use the name because God is so holy in their view. And so, John the Baptist comes preaching this message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is here. he, He is near. And so consider the implications for a moment. First, consider that the message goes out to God's covenant people. The reality is that we must first hear this call to repentance and preparation and invitation into or in our own lives. We first, as God's people, must hear this call to repentance in our own lives. John the Baptist calls God's people to repentance Make ready, personal readiness. Make ready for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is here. Prepare, make ready, repent, he says to God's people. Jesus himself is teaching the disciples, when he's teaching the disciples to pray in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13 in the Lord's Prayer, our Father, he begins by saying, pray then in this way, right? Here's how you ought to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done, right? Thy kingdom come. We are ready. His instruction, even to his disciples in Matthew chapter 6, is be ready. Pray. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Pray, being ready for God to usher in his kingdom. You get the picture of what he's saying here? It's this idea of readiness. And Jesus speaks of it and and encourages his disciples even to pray in this way of being ready for the kingdom to come. And so as we're talking this morning about preparing the way of Christ this Christmas, remember we're oscillating kind of between the, the coming of Christ here and what Christmas is about and then the imminent return that Christ is coming back a second time. 
So kind of a dual focus as we think about preparing the way. We're also thinking about in our own lives how we are to prepare the way and be ready. Thy kingdom come. It's not just though what Christ taught His disciples to pray. Paul himself models it in 1 Corinthians 16.22 to the church where he says, if anyone does not love the Lord Jesus, he is to be accursed. And then he says, Maranatha at the end. Right? Oh, Lord, come. That's what Maranatha means. It's this anticipatory looking to Christ's coming. Being ready for the coming of Christ. Preparing the way. The Apostle John also uses the same language at the end of Revelation 22.20. In Revelation 22.20 says, He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. That's Christ. Yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. And then John says, Come, Lord Jesus. Get the picture throughout the New Testament. We see this anticipation. Anticipation of Christ's coming. His imminent return. His return is imminent. He is coming back. And sometimes I fear that we as a church today, we lose sight of the fact that Christ is coming back. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. We must be about preparing the way. And so implication one for preparing the way, we must repent. If we are going to prepare the way, and preparing the way of Christ this Christmas means we must repent. That's what He calls the people of God to in verse 2. Repent. Right? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, what, is it, what does it mean to repent? It means that we turn. We turn from something to something else. We turn from one thing to another. And here in verse 2, it's an imperative. It's a command. John is commanding. With all the authority of heaven, he's commanding, repent. It's when the inward conscience of a man or a woman changes and it it involves a change, listen, a change in our attitude toward God. The truly repentant person experiences sorrow over our sin. And it's not sorrow because we have been found out in our sin. It's sorrow because we have recognized our sin before an infinitely holy God has stained us and made us a reproach in His presence. Repentance, then, is a a turn of our hearts where we come before God longing to be in His presence and we are are expressly, so we are grieved over our sin. One man said, it's much easier to repent of sins that we have committed than to repent of those we intend to commit. You see, when we repent, it's a change and a turning of our heart. It's not having the desire to entertain sin within that we would dwell upon the temptation to sin, but that our hearts would be turned and cultivate within our hearts a love for the Lord Jesus. Preparing the way of Christ means we must repent. In 2 Corinthians 7.10, the Apostle Paul says, For the sorrow that is according to the will of God, produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Listen, Scripture is clear for the believer. 
that our lives are to be about confession and repentance. We are to be about repenting. There is an initial time of repentance when a person comes to the Lord Jesus and confesses their sin and and they are converted into relationship with Christ, submitting to the Lordship of Christ. There's an initial time of, of repentance, yes, but then there is a continual repentance in the life of a believer. As we walk by the Spirit, recognizing that we sin against God and so that we don't quench the Spirit of God, rather we, we repent before God, confessing our sin before Him that we might walk in faithfulness and walk in the joy of our Master, of our Savior. And so this heed, let, let us heed this morning, let's heed the call to repent. Let us examine our own lives, brothers and sisters. Examine our own lives and our own hearts before the Lord. Let Him test every way within us and ask that He would reveal if we don't know, that He would reveal those areas of repentance in our life where repentance is needed. And then also ask that He would give us the desire to submit those areas to Him so that we truly are a repentant people. Because what happens when we fail to walk in repentance is that we don't have hearts that are cultivated for for God and walking with Him. Instead, we are too caught up in our own selves. We are too distracted by the things in our own lives and we fail to seek Him. We fail to pursue Him. And so the second implication that I want you to see is down in verse 6 and it is that repentance involves confession or confessing our sins. Repentance involves confessing our sins and we've spoken about this. Verse 6, he says, and they were being baptized by Him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. You know, really, repentance and confession, they go hand in hand. Confession is when we vocalize and speak our sin before God. Confession is our acknowledging our guilt in the matter of our sin before God. Simply stated, confession is admitting that we were wrong and that we have sinned. We don't like to admit that we're wrong today. But when we come before God in repentance and confession, I want to submit to you that it puts us in a very vulnerable place. Think about it. When we confess before someone else, a brother or sister, that we have sinned against them, does it not put us in a vulnerable place? I mean, isn't that part of the holdups as to why we don't want to go and confess that sin to the brother or to a sister when we have sinned and offended them? And when we confess our sin before God, it puts us in a vulnerable place. And the reason it puts us in a vulnerable place is because we are acknowledging our guilt and we know that what we deserve in the midst of our sin is eternal death, condemnation. But this is the hope and the good news of preparing the way of Christ. That we don't have to suffer condemnation. We don't suffer the wrath of God because Christ Himself has already suffered the wrath of God on our behalf. And so as we are seeing what it means to prepare the way of Christ, understand that repentance involves confessing our sins. 
you and I cannot repent without confessing our sins before God. We must be a people who confess our sins before God. And so the people, the, God's people are coming out in verse 5 from Jerusalem and Judea and the district around the Jordan. And they're coming to be baptized by John in the Jordan River as they are making this confession. As they are making this confession, there's an action that they're putting in practice as well. They are coming to John at the Jordan River. They are coming out from all over the place to the wilderness. And they are coming to be baptized, confessing that they have sinned, seeking purification. Now what's significant about that? Well, for the people of Israel, they were seeking to make themselves ready to receive the kingdom of God, to receive the Messiah as He comes. Now I want to submit to you and I this morning that there are things that we must do in our own lives, believers, to make ourselves ready to receive God's kingdom, to make ourselves ready that we ourselves can, can make that statement of prayer, come Lord Jesus, Maranatha, that we like John can be ready for the kingdom of heaven. Their baptism here was a symbolic baptism of purification, making their lives pure. It was a symbolic step in making preparation in their personal lives for the arrival of the kingdom of heaven. Believer, what must you do this morning to take those practical steps of preparing your heart and your mind so that you as well can say, come Lord Jesus, in preparing for the kingdom of heaven? The third implication I want us to see this morning regarding the call of personal readiness is that preparing the way of Christ involves clearing out the obstacles of our lives. Preparing the way of Christ involves clearing out the obstacles of our lives. In verse 3, this is the message that John comes proclaiming, quoting from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. The picture is of an approaching king coming into the city and as the king approaches, the road must be cleared before he can enter into the city or the town. Every hindrance must be removed, every roadblock must be taken down. John is calling the people through repentance to make ready the way of the Lord, to make His path straight. So we need to clear as well the obstacles out of our lives so that we are prepared for the Lord. Beloved, you know just as well as I do that there are certain sins that when we come before the Lord to pray, they flash before our minds. And we don't want to submit that to the Lord Jesus. We would like to continue on in our, in our version of our Christianity, in our version of what makes our relationship with Christ good. We would like to continue on in that without submitting to what He is calling us to submit to. And that is to submit to Him as Lord ultimately. To be willing to put everything aside that we might clear the obstacles out of our lives and be ready for the kingdom of heaven. Think about it. What 
What is it in your life that divides you from being able to just day by day rejoice and say, God, your kingdom come today. Your kingdom come right now. Is it, is it our family? Is it the hobbies we have? Don't we know that being in the presence of God is much sweeter than anything we can experience on earth? Yet so many times there are obstacles in our lives that keep us from living faithfully in pursuit of God. And part of preparing the way of Christ is to see those and to submit them to God. It doesn't mean that they're bad. It means that we just submit them to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we live in such a way where He is Lord. And we submit and we follow Clearing the obstacles out of our lives means that it might be uncomfortable. But it means that our focus will be central on the kingdom of God. And so just like the children of Israel, as they were longing and awaiting, just like the patriarchs and the prophets of old, as they were longing and awaiting and anticipating the coming of Messiah, hear me out, so too today, as children of God, we are to be ready, anticipating the imminent return of Christ. He has come once in the manger. He will come back again. Are we ready? Is it your prayer? Is it my prayer? Come, Lord Jesus. It's not too far from what Christ was teaching his disciples, what Paul himself was gripped by, what the Apostle John himself was gripped by. Come, Lord Jesus. Jesus says, I am coming quickly. Amen. And John says, come. Come. As we... Prepare the way of Christ. Not only is it a call of personal readiness for the believer. Not only is it a call to purify our lives, to remove the obstacles. It is the sign, the call to have this genuine repentance in our lives. We see it in verse 7 going through The end in verse 12. We see the call of personal readiness and then the sign of genuine repentance. The call of personal readiness and then the sign of genuine repentance. When he saw the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming for baptism, he, that is John, said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And then in verse 8, he makes this statement, bear, therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And the first implication I want us to see here in verse 8 is this, that genuine repentance is proved through a fruit-bearing life. Genuine repentance is proved through a fruit-bearing life. That is to say, if you and I have genuinely repented before the Lord of of this sin in our life, of this multiplicity of sins in our life, of, of these obstacles that have held us back from pursuing God, if we have genuinely repented of these things, then guess what's going to happen? There's going to be change. There's going to be a difference there. 
Why? Because genuine repentance means that there's going to be fruit that is produced in our lives. And that fruit is the fruit of forsaking those things which hinder us from pursuing Christ. The fruit that is produced in our lives is a fruit of walking in righteousness, of walking by His Spirit. Genuine repentance is proved through a fruit-bearing life. It is not that we return to the sins of our flesh, but it is that we continue in the pursuit of God. As I was praying this morning, just thinking through the implications of even this, this statement, Proverbs 26.11 came to my mind, which says, like a dog that returns to its vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Kind of a gross picture. But when we consider lacking genuine repentance, it would be that we, like a dog, like the fool, return to our folly. But genuine repentance is not about returning to our folly, is it? Genuine repentance is about putting our hand to the plow and not looking back. Genuine repentance is about pursuing God's glory making ourselves ready for His kingdom. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8-10, through 10, the Apostle Paul says this, You were formerly in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for, listen, the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Ephesians 5, 8 through 10. And then in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 2, Peter says this, So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, of lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this... They are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excess of dissipation and they malign you, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. You see, the sign of genuine repentance is fruit in the life of a believer, fruit that is consistent, that is worthy of repentance in keeping with repentance. Repentance being the turning of our heart, right? Confession, confessional living before God. Second implication I want us to see as the sign of genuine repentance is that genuine repentance is not concerned with presumptuous living. Genuine repentance is not concerned with presumptuous living, but is concerned with spirit-filled living. Genuine repentance is not concerned with presumptuous living, but is concerned with spirit-filled living. Let me show you where that comes from in verse 9. And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. You see, profession alone is not enough In verse 9, these Pharisees and Sadducees are ready to say and claim 
being beneficiaries of the kingdom of heaven based upon their religious lineage, based upon being children of the covenant, quote-unquote, children of Abraham. They were quick to presume upon God that because of their ancestral roots, they were in good standing with John. But did you catch with Jesus? But did you catch in verse 7 what John says? He saw them coming, the Pharisees and Sadducees, and he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? The vipers were known for their subtlety, their subtle movements, and then all of a sudden for the deadly strike. And he compares the Pharisees and the Sadducees here to vipers. And the reality is what the Pharisees and the Sadducees had missed was that, and they continued to miss throughout the ministry of Christ, was that their hearts were far from God. And so Jesus chastises them throughout his ministry in one particular time. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 27, Jesus says to the scribes and Pharisees, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you appear beautiful, right? But on the inside, they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. And it was that the scribes and the Pharisees were presumptuously coming to God, trusting on all of these other things to give them entrance into the kingdom of God. They thought that because of their history, they thought because of their religious study, they thought that because of their background, that they automatically had the right to be in the kingdom of God. Not much different than what we see today in the church. And I pray that this is not the mindset of any one of us in here, but if it is, I pray that we would repent of it. That we don't presume that just because maybe we were, we were raised in church that we automatically have entrance into the kingdom of God. I pray that we don't presume that, that just because our, our parents were, uh, were involved in church that, that we automatically have entrance into the kingdom of God. Or, or maybe that just because we attend church we automatically have entrance into the kingdom of God. We can attend church, we can do all of these things all day long, but if our hearts are far from God, we are no different than the scribes and the Pharisees. So I want us to hear this message this morning that we must come before God if we are preparing the way of Christ. We we must be a repentant people. We must not presume Genuine repentance does not presume upon God. Rather, genuine repentance looks like this, spirit-filled living. Because if we're not genuinely repentant, there is no way that we will live a spirit-empowered and filled life. I'm not claiming that we lose our salvation. What I'm claiming is that we will not hear and discern the voice of God in our lives if we are not openly confessional before the Lord Jesus Christ, before God. We quench the Spirit. We make decisions that ultimately lead us down a a path that God does not want us to go down, and then we end up suffering the consequences for bad decisions that were made when we were stepping outside of the will of God for our lives because we weren't. Genuinely repentant. 
If we're making way and preparing way for the, the kingdom of God, for Christ, then genuine repentance is not concerned with presumptuous living, but concerned with spirit-filled living. Look in verse 11. As for me, John says, I baptize you with water for repentance. This is that symbolic baptism Purification, I baptize you for purification, water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I. That's Jesus. He who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals, even to do the lowest thing of a servant. I am not even fit to do that. And he says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He, Jesus, this Messiah, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He is the one who will baptize you with the Spirit. This is, points us forward, I think, to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus had told the apostles to wait there in Jerusalem He said, for when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you receive power and you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and to the remotest parts of the earth. This is what he speaks of in Luke chapter 24 when he tells them to go to Jerusalem and wait. Why? Because they will be baptized with the Holy Spirit and the power of the Most High will come upon them and they will accomplish great things in the name of God. Why? Because the Holy Spirit of God dwells within them. This repentance that John comes proclaiming, make, re- make ready, make room, make way, clear the way, because Christ is coming and He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And it happens through repentance in the life of a person where initially they repent of sin and then the Holy Spirit of God comes into the life of a person and they are converted and changed and empowered from on high. And we see that carried out in Acts chapter 2 where the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they begin preaching the gospel and preaching in tongues of men and men from every nation are gathered there in Jerusalem for Pentecost and they hear the gospel proclaimed in their own tongue. That is the power of God. And the Holy Spirit, He says, will baptize you. He, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire This is the testimony of every believer. Not that they speak in tongues. That the Holy Spirit has come to indwell the life of the believer. Ephesians 1.13 In Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Baptism of the Holy Spirit. Listen, this is not just terminology for a charismatic person, charismatic denomination. God baptizes the believer with the Holy Spirit. He places the Holy Spirit in the life of His children as a deposit, as a seal of their inheritance. Not only does He baptize with the Holy Spirit, but with fire. Listen, there is coming a day when judgment will be rendered. 
And we will pass through the fire of judgment. And those works which were done in the flesh will burn up. And those which were done in the Spirit will, will, will pass through. And to be baptized in the Spirit and fire is significant for what John is saying. There is a judgment that is coming. And so when we say genuine repentance is is not concerned with presumptuous living, but is concerned with spirit-filled living, we must understand that we cannot presume upon a relationship with God, but we must walk by the Spirit, being baptized by the Spirit in repentance, coming before God, repenting, The third implication I want us to see is there is a consequence of not bearing good fruit. When we consider the baptism with the Holy Spirit and fire in verse 10, we see that he says the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire There are consequences of not bearing good fruit. And we have two pictures. In verse 10 we have one, and in verse 12 we have a second. And in verse 10 he says, The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. It doesn't take much thought to catch the image of what John is saying here. There's an axe that's about to cut down the tree. And it goes all the way down to the root. And that tree that doesn't bear good fruit, it will be cut down and it will be thrown into the fire. Well, we know that Jesus says that we ought to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Or John says we're to bear fruit in keeping with repentance and understanding the difference between good fruit and bad fruit. It, It doesn't take much to understand what John is saying here. Those trees that are without repentance, without the fruit of repentance, true, genuine repentance, he says here that they are the ones who will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Secondly, the threshing floor, verse 12, his winnowing fork, speaking of Christ, is in his hand. And he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor and he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And you know, maybe you know, maybe you don't know what happens with the wheat, but it's all gathered into, a, uh, into an area. Sometimes it's got a, a, a short, uh, short wall around it, but the threshing floor is there and they have the wheat and they take the fork and they throw it up and, and the wind catches the chaff and blows it off and the wheat, the heavier wheat, falls to the threshing floor and it's stored in a barn and later it then is crushed into flour so that they can make bread and things like that. But this chaff is gathered up on the side and he says this chaff is burned. Verse 12. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Inextinguishable fire. This is a fire that cannot be put out. And so hear me this morning. Preparing the way of Christ calls for us to have personal readiness and it calls forth the sign of genuine repentance. 
Genuine repentance is proven through a fruit-bearing life. And genuine repentance is not concerned with presumptuous living, but is concerned with spirit-filled living. And then understand that there are consequences for not bearing good fruit. And those consequences are eternal condemnation, the fire of hell, is what John is referring to here for all those who do not repent of sin, trusting in Christ. The consequence, John says, is they will spend an eternity apart from God in the fire burning. The call of John the Baptist as a herald proclaiming the arrival of the kingdom of God is one that we must see this morning. And the call of the church today is no different. We are to proclaim the good news of the arrival of Christ the King, and we are to take His message to the nations. For we know that His return is imminent, and we must be ready for His return. So let me ask you simply this morning, are you ready? Is your life filled with genuine repentance? This morning, I want to encourage you in this way. I want to encourage you that if there's a specific area of your life that God has pointed out to you this morning that need, you need to repent of, that you take time this morning before leaving this place to repent, to confess it before God, and if you don't want to, ask God to give you a heart that wants to. Maybe for you that looks like just Maybe it looks like coming and approaching the steps and kneeling down and praying as a, as a statement of, uh, of commitment, as a statement of unashamedness to say that you need God. Maybe this morning you have never initially come to a place of repentance where you confessed your sin before God and surrendered your life to Him. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ saves our soul as we confess our sin before Him and the good deposit of the Holy Spirit is placed in our lives. Maybe that's where you're at this morning. And if that's you, I want to encourage you to surrender your life to Christ if He is calling you. I'm going to close this in prayer and I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and, and play a song of, uh, of invitation and just a time of response. And you have an opportunity during this time to respond as the Lord is leading you. Let us pray. Father, you know us better than anyone else. You entreat us to come to you and you are so gracious and merciful toward us. So thank you, Father, for your mercies that are made new every day. Thank you, God, that your grace covers our sin because we are, we are all filthy sinners. We are all in need of your grace and your mercy daily. So I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us today. I pray, God, that we would be a people of repentant hearts and minds and we would have genuine repentance in our life. And God, that we would be able to claim with the authors of the New Testament that we would be able to claim, come Lord Jesus, that we, we would be ready for you to come. So Lord, we pray, come. Come Lord God, do a work in our hearts and our lives. We submit to you right now. Come Lord Jesus.
come. Would you stand?